At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we did. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and a conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I am a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check out our website at uh, libcon.podbean.com. We're in the iTunes store. We're in the Google Play store. We just jumped on this thing called Stitcher, which I was not aware of, but apparently it's huge, so you can find us there as well. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter at libcontim, and I am at libconmatt. Buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Uh, please check us out on Twitter. If you have any questions, we invite you to holler at us. Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to SportsGal00, who sent us some very nice comments earlier in the week. Thank you so much for that. We are glad to have you, and we hope we're listening. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about the election. There's been some moving and shaking today. Uh, we're, there's a lot of interesting things going on in South America from a standpoint of... Uh, just general trouble. We're going to cover that a little bit. Uh, the libertarians had their uh, convention. We're going to talk about third partiness because there's a lot of talk about it, uh, as well as uh, social security. We're going to give you the rundown on some changes and a few other things, the general state of social security right now, because it's pretty cool. WTF and something cool. But in the meantime, how are you, my friend? I'm good, buddy. It's been a, it's been a good, good ministry day. I was out with, um, some kids out in Winchester, Kentucky, which is a lot of fun. Got to play wiffle ball. Always a good time. Uh, and got to do some nice visioning with a, an old friend of mine, just talking about the direction things are headed in youth ministry here in, in the Lexington area and some ideas about what we could do. So I'm, I'm excited about everything that's everything that's going on there. And uh, I'm looking forward to going out to Harlan County this weekend to celebrate our uncle, Ron Johnson, having a bridge named after him. So that's yeah, that don't happen often. Um, so yeah, very very proud of him and proud of our family and looking forward to it. Yeah, we we absolutely need to give some some love and respect out to Uncle Ron. He's a he's a veteran. He's a former judge, and he's just a, an outstanding guy. We're real proud of him. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make that. I, I I wish there was mass time for me to be there. Um, but, that's a big uh, drive. That, that's tough. It's just just three hours for me. It's like nine hours for you. So, yeah, getting all the way to getting all the way to Cumberland is, yeah, that's just tough. But you know, that's life. But anyway, regardless, uh, Uncle Ron, we love you and and we're very proud of you. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. You know, my uh, I'm having some some allergy things. So if my voice sounds a little scratchy, the further we go along, that's that's why I'm 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 drinking my tea though. So. Nice. That cures everything. Good work. Uh, actually, it does. Believe it. Believe it or not, I feel better <laughs> than I did. And for some reason, I've had I've had Oki from Muskogee stuck in my head for the last couple of days, which Good is song. Uh, yeah, it is. But you know, it's it, it's busting out in odd places. So if I you know start talking about how leather boots are still in style for mainly footwear, just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice quote. So, all right. Well, we better get started. We, because uh, we, like I said, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, first off, with with the election this week, it was really sort of a quiet, sort of a quiet week. The you know the uh, Trump said some stuff, and Bernie said some stuff, and Hillary said some stuff, and 
whatever. Uh, but then today, uh, Paul Ryan came out and endorsed, uh, officially endorsed Donald. Hillary yeah. gave a really big uh, national security speech that has been extraordinarily well received by uh, even by Amanda Carpenter on CNN, who is this massive. He was a former advisor to Ted Cruz. Even she had good things to say about it. So it must have been good. Um, and I, I, I saw parts of it and, and was was fairly impressed. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of the gist of things fr- from my side. I, I, but I don't know. The Ryan thing is big, right? Ryan thing's big. Ryan thing is infuriating for me. Uh, I said a couple shows ago that I really hope that he wouldn't, that he would stand up to this, uh, stand up to this and say, no, this is not the vision of the Republican Party. I will not endorse him. Uh, because, again, I, while, while it's becoming more and more possible that Trump will win, I, I am really hoping that it doesn't. And I, if he if he had stayed strong and not endorsed him, then you know we had to hear Paul Ryan ready uh, to to rise up and lead the the new Republican Party into the future. And now not so much because he's right on board with Trump. So you know it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement. Um, you know he was he was definitely very reserved in his his op ed piece, but it, he endorsed him nonetheless. So I'm I'm deeply disappointed. Um, maybe not altogether surprised, but still disappointed. Yeah, I am too. I, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier on Twitter today, I, I, I held out, you know, I held out longer the first time I saw porn, you know, than he managed to hold out with this endorsement charade of his, um, wow. Nice analogy. All right. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, he didn't like, I, I thought surely he would go longer. Damn it. I mean, you know, if you're going to try to fake us out, fine, you know, but at least make it to the convention for heaven's sakes. Um, you know, but this was just very sort of spineless and I'm, I'm really just terribly disappointed in the guy. But then at the same time, I guess there's a, there is that cynical politician part of me that is not in any way surprised to have seen all of these people fall in line in the last little bit. So, you know, it, it's, it's bothersome. I, I, and I, I don't know, um, you know, as far as whether or not it's getting more and more likely, this Trump University stuff really seems to be gaining some traction, and there's some pretty damning stuff in that. I got to well, why? Why uh, is this gaining that, traction? Like, I don't. I guess I don't fully understand it. I mean, I get the idea that it didn't work, sure, but what what did he do that was illegal? Well, the biggest thing that's not so much that it was Ill, that they don't know for sure if it was illegal or fraudulent so much as it's clearly unethical what was going on. Now, whether now the question is going to come down to what did he know? But, you know, what Donald Trump wants all of us to believe is that he's always in control, right? He knows everything that goes on. You know, he's 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 like Terry Benedict in the in Ocean's Eleven. I see everything and that goes on in my hotels, you know, and, and Trump wants us to think that he's that good. And in this case, you have uh, former employees on record in these unsealed documents saying, yeah, this was a sham. We knew this was a sham going in. We knew it was a sham when we were putting it together. It was always a scam. Uh, you have uh, uh, phone operators on the record saying that they were told to encourage people to call their credit card companies and raise their limits so that they could charge two and three times the amount of what their limit was and max out their credit cards in order to pay Trump University. Um, so, 
I mean, uh, and these are all things that are getting coming out of those court documents that he is railing against the judge and calling him a, a Mexican, you know, uh, for unsealing the documents and being supposedly unfair. Yeah. Uh, really that, what he's doing that is was probably you know, one of my favorite quotes of uh, that might be one of my favorite tr- quotes of all time from Trump was he goes off on a rant on the judge and then just throws it in there at the end. And I think I think she's a Mexican. <laughs> what? I know, right? Really? It was, it was it, that. Wow. It's like a, it's like, it's like and a bad PC Jewish joke where somebody too. calls you a dirty Mexican. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, that that was bad. I, I don't know. For me, this just sounds a lot like Hillary's emails. You know, just like, well, it was a bad decisions and and not good and unethical, but illegal nah, i don't know nah, yeah but see the reason i think this may gain subtraction with the people that he's going after is because he claims to be for the little guy right you know i i am you i am the average american i'm just giving voice to everything that you're feeling and here is a direct example of him taking advantage of the average american i mean that was the whole point so yeah I, I guess that's you know, true. I, mean, I, I can't, I don't, I can't know. believe anyone believing that he's one of us, that he's one of the little people. No, I mean, it, in no way, shape, or form. I mean, this has been his entire business mo. I mean, that we've there's been ample evidence of this of him uh, going into uh, you know construction and building buildings, and then just refusing to pay the complete sum, you know, to to the little small business construction companies helping him. Um, so I, I, I can't believe that anyone is actually buying this idea that he he's one of us or speaking for us. I, it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know if they're necessarily buying it, but I think that it's going to cut into his, you know, it's like you said, you know, there was a shot. We were talking about it last week that there were people on the fence that, you know, maybe the email thing would sway them. Uh, you know, to go vote for Trump. This may be the kind of thing that could sway them to the other side. And I do think finally, just That's in the last fair. couple of days, I think I think I can say that it seems like the the Hillary's campaign is doing a better job of hitting him. That and she's getting an assist from the press because the press, I think, is tired of him. Yeah, the press is pretty obviously anti-Trump. Uh, you know, and I mean, there's even conservative news outlets that are anti-Trump. So I... You know, we talk about the need for an unbiased media. I don't, I don't think we're going to get that in this election cycle. I think the media is going to be pretty biased against Trump all the way around. I mean, if you think if you think that the media was uh, in love with Obama and, and biased towards him, I, I think you're going to be blown away by the level that the media, while maybe not being biased towards Hillary, is extremely biased against Trump. Um, as are we. I mean, you know, like our whole theme is that we're moderate. Yeah, let's be honest. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're both pretty obviously anti-Trump and don't make too many bones about it. So, no. Well, I mean, and you can't go around and tell people that the you know spend all of your time telling people how corrupt the media is, and then actually call them all out like he got the all the press corps together. And basically went around and personally insulted like four or five of them directly in the middle of it. And then wonder why they're mad at you. <laughs> yeah. Why don't these people like me? I don't, I don't understand. I, yeah, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. It is, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's certainly, certainly going to be interesting. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's all I have from an election standpoint. Have you, have you anything else? 
No, just looking looking forward to you know. It sounds like you know Hillary is just moving on from Bernie, uh, regardless of whether or not there's still some elections coming up in California, and she's just saying, you know what, I'm going to focus in on Trump. I'm I'm done with this primary, which I th- I think is a good decision because you know God bless Bernie, but it, it does seem seem like a pretty hard road for him to to get the win. So probably a good decision for her to just decide to move on. Yeah, I, I agree. And and the, the thing that the only thing left that really bothers me about Bernie is that I think he's sort of finally made in my mind, he's made this flip to being completely yes, 100%. I know for a fact you're a politician, because all of the superdelegates that he spent the entire time railing against, now his entire argument is try to flip the superdelegates. So yeah, which goes you know, exactly it, against the sort of thing he's been talking about of leaving everything that he talked about for the first six months. Yeah. So she won the know, voters. So now the, he wants to switch super delegates. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's time to let that, let that one go. I still think she should choose him. I, I'm going to stand by that one. I, I still think that should, that should be a thing. I do want, you know what? I do want to clear up one thing that, that you, I remember during our, during the last show, you asked me a question that I, I didn't actually get a chance to answer that I, I did want to clear up. You asked me why I kept referring back to the email thing in the context of the election against Trump and saying that there was a re- one reason to not necessarily take the email thing so seriously was because of Trump being the nominee. And the point that I, that I was sort of trying to make was that I, I just don't know how big a deal the email thing would be if she weren't running for president, you know? Um and one of the reasons, I mean, let's face it, the reason you and I were talking about it last week is because of the election. And this is a thing that some people, Trump specifically, are using to say, look, don't vote for her because of email thing, vote for me. And I, I think it's pretty clear that I didn't take the email thing nearly as seriously as, as some, but it certainly wouldn't be enough to switch me to the other side or to even make me considering voting against her because Trump is the opposition. It would take, she would have to be under indictment. Hell, they'd have to put her in jail. And I might have to, and I might even still think about voting for her, even if she was governing from Sing Sing, if the choice was Trump. But, you know. Yeah, because she's got know. one thing, so. but, they, well, it's it's like with the whole transgender bill thing. I, I was so furious that in the uh, heat of fashion, you know, I mentioned, well, maybe maybe I would vote for Trump now. Um, but the moment that you think that then Trump does a, a thousand things that make you realize why you can never vote for him. So I, I, exactly. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But I think that you was, are that right was why that this is only a big deal it. because she is up for election. As you mentioned, you know, Bush had a similar scandal, um, in 2007, but it sort of disappeared. And I mean, the reason why it disappeared was because he was disappearing. And so no one cared anymore. But with Hillary, because yeah. she's running for president, it's not going to disappear. And now it comes under scrutiny, right? Yeah. And, I, I think and it is. And, and I think that's fair. Yeah, and, I mean, when you're running for something, you're going to get closer scrutiny on every little aspect. That may not be a big deal if you weren't running for president. As she's pointed out, Colin Powell did similar things. No one cares as much because Colin Powell's not running for president. Exactly. And has largely left public life for the yeah. most part. Uh, you know, Sadly. I, I was reminded, yeah, because he's, he's a good guy, but the, you know, you, you mentioned, um, that she sort of tends to retreat in the face of things like this, um, and close ranks in the way that that bothered you. I, I was, and I, I, I reminded, I went back and I looked at this section of the, that Clinton experience documentary on, on Amazon prime, 
where they talk about whitewater. And when whitewater first started to be a thing, there were like six or seven people, including all of the Clinton's lawyers and Bill Clinton himself, that were all looking at the whitewater documents going, this is nothing. There's nothing here. Let's just give it to them. Just give them everything they want. Here you go. Go on. And the one dissenter in the entire room who actually ended up winning the argument was Hillary. Really? She immediately closed ranks and said, no, we don't want to give them anything. Nothing. Not a thing. And there was nothing in there. She had nothing to be worried about. Even Ken Starr later on said, no, there wasn't anything there. But her immediate response, I think, to her own detriment, and I think she has a tendency to do this, is to back off be overly private and yeah. try to hide when there's no reason to hide. Yeah. And I, yeah, you know, and I, and I, and the thing about it is, is that if, if she thinks that she of all people should know that if she thinks the scrutiny now is bad, just wait till she gets in office. Mm-hmm. It's not like it stops, mm-hmm. you know? So I think somebody just needs to smack her, but absolutely. Know, well, I, and and that's, bit. that's the big point that the economist <laughs> makes in the, in their article uh, on the whole email thing. Is that a more, astute politician would have immediately recognized this for what it could become and make a big show of being very open and honest about everything, especially considering that she has a reputation for being, you know, deservedly or not. She has this reputation for being a little bit shady, a little bit, you know, a little bit sneaky, maybe a little bit crooked Hillary. And, and she should have responded with being very open and honest about the whole thing. Whereas instead, she sort of repeated the same mistake she has in the past of, of closing ranks. Yeah. I don't know that she deserves it for being crooked, but I think she deserves it for being secretive. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, being secretive leads people to think that you're crooked, yeah. even though you may well not be. Yeah. Why, why be secretive? You know? What do you got to hide? What's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, well, we've officially gone on longer about the election than we intended to. So uh moving right along we're uh there's been whether or not uh any any anyone has noticed uh because it's been not covered a tremendous amount in the american press but there's been a lot going on in south america and we're gonna we're gonna cover a little bit bit of that with you tonight um one of the one of the countries is is something that uh tim has mentioned on a number of occasions was the uh the brazilian uh president being impeached uh, the former president also under some sort of criminal investigation. They are having a tremendous amount of blowback over the Rio Olympics coming down. The Zika virus down there is is uh, really freaking people out. They have massive around Rio. They have massive pollution problems in the water. Uh, shortfalls from a funding standpoint, just a lot of problems going on. Venezuela is effectively falling apart. Uh, the successor yeah. to yeah. Uh, Chavez has 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 called in the military basically to try to keep order, which is really scary because you know he's a he's a dictator. So whenever dictators call in the military, big deal. Uh, Ecuador, a uh, country near and dear actually to both our hearts, more to yours than mine, uh, has been having a series of earthquakes, and this has caused their own dictator Correa uh, to also close ranks a little bit in the same way that uh, Venezuela's uh, dictator has closed ranks. Um, And there is, because of the drop in price in oil, there is a lot of economic hardship going on in South America. So uh, lead lead us off here. What, what, what What do you have to say about some of this stuff? 
Well, I mean, I mean, you're spot on about the whole the whole oil thing. I mean, that is, I, I don't want to say that's the reason for the problem because the the reason for the problem is how poorly South American countries dealt with this oil wealth, right? And this is, and, and but th- this is endemic of oil-rich countries across the world, right? They, they, they've sort of said, well, we've got oil, so we don't, we don't need anything else. So they allowed their economies, economies to become entirely based on oil. Uh, and now that oil's dropped, they can no longer keep up the, the massive social welfare programs uh, that they put in place because there's nothing else driving their economy. Uh, and we see this in Russia. We see this in um, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Uh, we see this in uh, countries across Africa, Nigeria. Um, and we see this all throughout South America and Ecuador, Venezuela. And this this is the big issue for them. Uh, and the only country that's got the got the money to kind of keep going really is, is Saudi Arabia. You know, they've sort of said, well, screw you guys. We're super rich. So we're, we're going to be able to survive. But the, these other countries aren't. Um, and, and that's, that, that's what we see happening in, in South America. We see that because, so before they were able to sort of buy off voters by giving all this stuff away. And now that they can't, uh, everything is falling apart, and these aren't you know super nice, lovely, democratic-loving countries uh, and democrat democracy-loving leaders, uh, and so they're they're fighting viciously to hold on to power and taking more and more authoritarian steps in order to ensure that they have that power, uh, and, and it's a very it's a very dangerous situation. Uh, now there's certainly hope in some areas. Uh, Argentina is just uh, elected, you know, made very good decisions about their, who who they've elected as president, and um, he's hopefully he's already working to open up their economy. Uh, and we'll, I mean, we'll just kind of see what happens. Korea is gone, um, not this year but the next, uh, so that'll be good. But Venezuela is on the verge of becoming a, a failed state. Um, and with the United States' attention being directed completely towards um, the Middle East and, and Asia, uh, we're not seeing a lot from the United States for as far as trying to help handle this problem. Not that I really even know what the United States could do. They're, you know, we're, we're a little bit limited because these countries are also ones that are very anti-America. Um, so it, it's going to – it's it's – it's gonna be it's gonna be a little worrisome to see how all this all this plays out. And why why is that that they tend to be a little bit anti-American? Is that just a communist versus democracy sort of ideology? The response to what what was viewed as American imperialism, right? Uh, and, and and there is the whole communist versus capitalist thing going on there, but it it is this idea that the. Uh, the leftist imperials, or sorry, the American imperials, uh, are trying to tell us what to do. They're working against us, um, and you can see it in, in those countries. You know, um, Ecuador and um, Venezuela and Bolivia, and their connection to Cuba. You know, all of these countries are very much connected and working together. Um, 
So I, absolutely, I, I, that you're definitely seeing some of that same communist versus capitalist ideologies playing out. But even in countries like Brazil, that maybe don't necessarily have the the same anti-Americanism or necessarily the same communistic leanings, uh, you, we see oil taking a, a, a big toll on them as well. Uh, they're going through it, and theirs is also connected towards a scandal, towards cronyism of uh, using Petrobras, the, the state-owned oil company, um, and the, the corruption the corruption scandal that's going on there. So it's, it's not just that, but that certainly does play a role. Yeah, and I, and and that's a point that I that I, I definitely want to hit on is is that you know I think a lot of people would look at this kind of thing and go okay well why should I care and and I get that I'm not being critical of it at all I'm as guilty as anybody else as Americans I think we tend to you know see things through the lens of how expensive is gas you know um, and roll up to the gas station and go dude I'm paying you know it's only two bucks a gallon and this is awesome woohoo and you know we're probably sticking it to the Saudis a little bit in the process and you know or the rich guys in you know at, at BP and Exxon and I don't give a crap what happens to the price of oil per barrel and I mean yeah that's nice but at the same time it does have very real impacts for other countries that don't have as you said other ways of making money or other kinds of reserves and it, this is particularly true, I think, in South America, in that while we have been celebrating oil falling in the last year, 18 months, two years, it's really done some damage in South America. And to me, it's, it's another argument for not just us being less dependent on oil, but the entire world really needs to find other ways of doing things. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. Absolutely. Well, it's a push for the, the need to diversify your economy. I mean, if you just trade out oil for another, you know, mineral or another resource, say coal, uh, for example, in Eastern Kentucky, anytime that your economy becomes too focused in on one thing, you're setting yourself up to fail, whether you're a state, a region or a country. Uh, and I, I think this, this highlights that need. Now, at the same time, when we're talking about you know these South American countries like Venezuela, like Ecuador, the, these aren't countries in which they had this you know loving, wonderful leader, and now you know look at this oil, the fall in oil and what this has done. They had bad leaders who were taking advantage of the population and were able to use oil as a shield to protect the economy in order for them to advance some of their more authoritarian goals. And now that shield has been removed and the people are rising up against them. So while it is causing damage in the short term, there is certainly the hope that we will see a rising up of a, a better, purer democracy uh, from this. But on the flip side, it could just all go horribly, uh, which is what we saw happen with the Arab Spring. Right. We're all excited. We see all these uh, Arabian countries, peoples rising up against their their dictators. And we think this is going to be the, the, the renewal of democracy in the area. And all oh, this is so wonderful. And then it turned horrible. So there's there's two ways this could go. Maybe it will be great and we'll see uh, this flourishing of, of genuine democratic states. Or maybe we'll end up with the Middle East in our backyard. Yeah, which is really 
uh, a frightening prospect. The the anomaly is somewhat in all of this is is Brazil, right? Because Brazil is is a different sort of problem where you have a largely demo- democratic state that is, I think, in over its head with the Olympics and is is proof that the the Olympic model of doing things is is a is a crock for one thing. Uh, I think Sochi, uh, not Sochi. Uh, where was it that they did them in Russia just recently? The Winter Olympics out there. I don't know. Was that Sochi? I have no idea. I don't remember. Uh, they but this this model that the Olympics you will spend billions of dollars in order to make billions of dollars is basically a big lie. Uh, and you're going to spend billions of dollars on stuff you're, that you're going to use once, and then it'll go away. Uh, and then combine that with the problems in the government, the Zika virus, and uh, and massive pollution problems that they've already got. To me, this just seems like a recipe for disaster. I mean, all of the the eyes of the world are going to be on Rio here pretty quick, and uh, they could be in real trouble. I mean, absolutely they could be, yeah. The, everything with the Olympics is going pretty horribly for them right now. I, I don't know if this speaks to you know a, a damning of the whole Olympic system, because uh, I, I do think that it can be a great gain for these areas, and they put these money into building these facilities, which could be used for furthered economic gain. But unfortunately, you are correct that a lot of times they aren't. You know, you can get online and see plenty of pictures of formal, formal, former Olympic areas um, now rotting and decayed. Um, so I, I'm not quite ready to call the whole thing a sham. Well, that's fair. Uh, you know, I, I, I can, uh, I, I can, I can see that, but, uh, but they are a little bit of, uh, a little, a, a little bit of a, an anomaly in all this and that they're, they're not a, a dictatorial state, uh, that is in this right. trouble for the same reasons right. as the other. Well, and you got to remember when, when, when Brazil won the bid, they weren't in trouble. You know, Brazil was a shining star two years ago. You know, uh, and this is this has been a pretty sudden drop off um, that we've seen. So, you know, it's it's not like the the Olympics, you know, put their put their money on gave you know gave all of this to some third world falling apart country. You know, Bra- you know, Brazil has been a, a rising star for many many years, and then under the leadership of Dilma Rousseff, you've just seen it plummet. Um, so it does speak to the dangers of electing someone on the left side of politics. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a pointed comment at all. <laughs> Perhaps it speaks more to the dangers of electing extremists on either side. Well, Dilma, is, you, you can accuse her of a lot of things, but she's not She's not an extremist. Um, she's probably a little bit more to the left than their previous person with Luis de Silva, but she's not She's not an extremist. Uh, probably more just electing someone who's incompetent. <laughs> Which I, I think... Who just happens to... I, I just think happens you can call Hillary Clinton a right. lot of things, but I don't think you can call her incompetent. So I don't, I don't think we're in danger of, of doing that to ourselves. No, I don't think uh, not. Well, I mean, you know, we could we could always elect Trump, and then you'll never know. That's a good so. point. You can do the same thing to yourself by electing some far right crazy person. So there you go. That's all I needed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right, we got to move on because we're uh, we're 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 falling behind. But we uh, the uh, next topic up uh, is 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 third parties. Um, Woot! First of all, we had the Libertarian yes. convention this past weekend, in which. Uh, uh, Gary Johnson, former New Mexico governor, and William Weld. Yes. Welm? Weld. Uh, Weld uh, is the vice presidential nominee. He is a former governor of Massachusetts. First of all, I got to tell you, if, if you want to see fascinating people, really, I, I got a feeling that going to, you know, it, it's a little, I think you could go to a Star Wars convention, and I think you could go to the Libertarian Party convention. Because, man. I, th- these, I, you know what? I am not a Libertarian. I am not a Libertarian. But these people look like they had a ball. I mean, they, they're they just not terribly pretentious. And not, or I mean, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they did certainly didn't seem that way to me. You look at some of the, some of the pictures and this, this to me just looked like a party and I kind of wanted to go, but you know, <laughs> well, so, you said, I mean, you there's said that, that you're not a libertarian, but that's going to be the very argument that Gary, that Gary Johnson's going to make is that more of Americans are libertarians than they realize, uh, because you've got a party that's a combination of fiscal conservatism with social liberalism. Because their and big social thing is, liberalism, exactly. Yeah, they they yeah. don't want the government involved with a lot of these, you know, personal social matters that we see, uh, at least on the Republican side, that we see the, um, you know, this push for the government to be to be involved with. So I, I think you might be surprised uh, at how libertarian you might actually be. And I think a lot of people probably would be surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you've had uh, Bill Crystal, who is, is, is in fact not to disagree, not to agree with Trump on anything, but yes, I think Bill Crystal is a bit of a gas bag, but he is trying to recruit a gentleman named David French right now to run as the third party. David French seems like a, I like a pretty good guy from my parties. He's seems pretty solid. I don't know that I would vote for him, but you know, he's a, he's an ex, uh, uh, he's former military. He's, a, a something of a thinker and a writer and, and, and an, an interesting fella. Uh, and then of course you've had the open Mitt Romney attempts at recruiting somebody that didn't work. So basically you're looking at having the two most un unlikable, major party candidates in modern history. And you would think that this would cry out for a third party run, a strong third party run. Uh, And Gary Johnson for, you know, early on at least is really trying to make the argument. So, you know, do you see this as, as possible really that he could, you know, that we could have like a Nader Perot sort of impact this time around? Yes, absolutely. Now that is certainly flavored with with optimism because I I am over the moon about Gary Johnson and William Weld. Uh, I was praying for an experienced uh, governor in the form of John John Kasich in order to win the Republican nominee, and and then we got Trump, and now all of a sudden the Libertarian Party has offered exactly what I was hoping for. 
an extremely experienced and competent ticket. You've got two former governors, both of whom were successful. Um, now, granted, the only downside is that they're coming from a party that does have a little bit of a crazy side. But you know what? The Democrats have their crazy side. The Republicans have their crazy side. So I, I think absolutely that this is the, the, the time is, is perfect. The timing is great uh, for them to really make it a legitimate third party run because of exactly what you said. We've got these two extremely unlikable people as the primary front runners, and you've got almost 50% of the American electorate describing themselves as independent voters. And now you've got the Libertarian Party stepping forward and say, hey, look, if you don't like either of those guys, here's us. And we're physically, we're physically conservative, but we're also very socially liberal. We're offering new ideas, a new way of doing things. Come vote for us. And I, I, and what's even better, I, this has the potential to be even better than Ross Perot, right? Because say, say that we say that we're successful, right? And I'll say we, because as of right now, my votes with Gary Johnson. I voted for a third party in every presidential election, and I fully intend to do so again because I believe that we as Americans need a third party. We need another option to help fight off the gridlock that it, that has taken over our our government, and. With a th- with this third party, I, I think that's that's exactly the opportunity that we have because with Perot, it was just him, right? And so he he won. I mean, he got the five percent funding where he could have launched this whole other party, but he was too focused on himself. He wasn't thinking about anything beyond him becoming president. Whereas with the Libertarian Party. Even if, you know, yes, it's very unlikely that they'll win, but I think they've got a solid chance of hitting that line to where they're getting the federal funding and we could start to see a legitimate third party fielding other candidates in all the other elections because they already have that. They're already on the ballot in all 50 states. They have they have the party structure. They've got the infrastructure to move forward. So I, I think this could be the dawning of a whole new era in American politics, and nothing will make me happier than to see that happen. I, I, th- I would tend to agree in a lot of ways that I, I do think it's possible, but I, I, I think that there's still an awful lot of roadblocks. And I think in some cases, I think they sort of did it to themselves. The thing that baffles me is that one thing they always said, the problem with these third party runs is they always seem to be really late in the game. You know, they show up when all of the other parties have been running their primaries for months and they've been doing all this and, and, and so everybody knows there's already that name recognition. Everybody knows that they're out there. One of the reasons that everything that I've read that says that, you know, Bill Crystal's idea with David French is cute, but it's not going to get anywhere is because nobody has a clue who David French is. And everybody else has a, has a 12 month head start on him effectively from a funding standpoint, from a name recognition standpoint. And he's just going to be dead in the water before he can even get going, let alone with the fight he's going to have getting on the ballot in all 50 States. Well, so and, and he's ridiculous. That's there, there, there's no need for this. And, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll give two WTFs this week and I'll give one to Bill Crystal. Here he is complaining about not having a third party person. He's complaining about the direction the Republican Party has gone. And then after the Libertarian Party puts forth to a, an amazingly competent and solid ticket, everything that we as moderate Republicans were looking for, he turns around and instead of endorsing them and saying, yes, fantastic, this is what we wanted, go get them, he puts forth an entirely other 
another candidate. So now we're not even just talking about a third party candidate. Now we're talking about a fourth party candidate. So we're splitting the conservative vote three different ways. Are you kidding me? Come on, Bill. Well, but see, Bill Crystal is is if you fa- fancies himself as as kingmaker in this standpoint, he is the worst kind of establishment Republican. I mean, he's part of what people like him are part of what keeps the two party system from working, and what has begged for uh, you know this third party to come about in the first place. You know, you can take Bill Crystal and Mitch McConnell and Harry Reid and chuck them all into the same category. And you say that, you know what, look, you guys need to just retire because you're causing more problems than you're helping. And uh, I, I don't really even rate what he's trying to do at all. Again, I hate to agree with Trump, but in this one case, I kind of agree with him. Bill Crystal needs to go away. So he does. Uh, he needs to go away quickly or he needs to endorse the libertarian candidates. Yeah. Yeah. What, neither of which I'm afraid is, is going to happen. But what getting back to the, what I was saying is is that I don't understand why they didn't come out like six months ago because it seemed like it was sort of a foregone conclusion that and I recognize they did go to a second ballot but people have been assuming that Gary Johnson was going to be the libertarian nominee for months anyway try to get a head start on everybody you know go ahead and announce yeah you know back in November hey we've already decided who our candidate is and start getting his name out there if if on nothing else on the web, get him on Twitter, get him on, you know, Reddit doing freebie, uh, types of publicity, uh, just to, you know, pull a Bernie and, and start from nothing. I mean, a year ago, nobody knew who Bernie Sanders was either, you know, and, and look at him now. Uh, well, I, I think that's you know, fair, I, but I, at I, the same I mean, time, that's, that's hindsight. I know, but I, I think that if, if a third party going forward, if they want to build on this, if they're able to get somewhere now, and they're actually able to impact the election however they pull it off, you know, uh, whether or not they impact Hillary or they impact Trump or whatever, then I think come 2019, they need to be, they need to be in the game right away. You know what I mean? I mean, not, not waiting, not pushing just right now, you know, just not trying to do everything in the last six months, which is what they seem to always be doing. Start as early as possible. And then I think a third party is going to have a better shot at going about it instead of coming in a month or two before the major party conventions like they always seem to do. Well, I, I think that's fair to an extent, but at the same time, you got to keep in mind, I mean, he did, you know, he announced his candidacy a long time ago, but the, you got to remember what, what the libertarians just did was something that the Democrats and Republicans haven't even done yet. I mean, this was their convention. They were choosing their candidate. Uh, and so, I mean, the, there's, there has been, you know, a libertarian primary going on, uh, but just no one cared. So maybe he could have done more to try to get his name out in, in the broader media circles. But he, he was facing the fact that the media didn't really care. Who wants to report on Gary Johnson in the libertarian primary when you got Donald Trump? Well, but was there a libertarian primary going on per se? I wasn't offered a, I mean, I'm not a registered with anybody. I'm an independent and I wasn't offered a libertarian ballot when I went to vote in North Carolina. I got Republican or Democrat. That was it. Well, I, I just don't, I don't think that they're a big enough, that they've got the funding. <laughs> I don't think they're a big enough party that they do. Uh, they don't do all of this voting, right? They, they imagine that the Republicans and Democrats 
still just figured out their candidate at their actual convention, you know, and that and that's what right. the other yeah they don't yeah they do it they they yeah. do it the old school way right you know? and yeah, it's because totally. they don't have the infrastructure now but if you I, see them get federal funding then maybe you will see that and you're absolutely right they need to get they need to jump on things earlier uh, but but for now people cared about as much about that as they care about the you know the primary for the state senator Republican race you know no one. Yeah, no one but, cares about that. but my, my point is, no, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. But my point is, is that hold the convention earlier and go ahead and get your nominee chosen, you know, as early as you possibly can, even earlier than this. Yeah. Just to get his name out there, because, you know, the six months ago, this was sort of a nebulous kind of thing. But I mean, imagine if if this had been this entire primary season. Pardon me, you had had this guy going out there uh, the whole time being like, you know what? Don't, you don't have to listen to what these people are. You come vote for me. You can ignore what, look at all that stuff that's going on with the Republicans. They're beating each other up and the Democrats are beating each other up and I'm here, you know? Yeah. It, it might have, I'm not saying he would have necessarily gotten a lot of national press, but from a grassroots standpoint, he might've had something to build on. And I think that that's something that they should be planning to do come 2019. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, hopefully, and hopefully they will be able to do that with the, the sort of federal funding and name recognition that comes from an extremely strong showing. The, the, big, the big hurdle now is getting him into the debates. That's the big hurdle. I think he has to hit 15%. Yeah, that's the next step. Which he's yeah. almost at. With all with almost no attention, he's already at ten to eleven percent. You know, and he's not even being included in half the polls that are done. Well, now that we're really getting going, I I think he's got a very real shot of hitting that fifteen percent chance. And I, for one, will be doing everything I possibly can to to make that happen. And that's bear in mind, folks. That's that's less than a week out of the convention. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this convention literally happened, what, Sunday? Yeah. They made this choice. And I, and I think Gary so. Johnson is the type of, I, I think with Gary Johnson and William Weld, this is the kind of ticket that the more you get to know them, the more you're going to like them. I, I honestly believe that. And I now the one they, downside from a conservative standpoint is that they're both pro-choice. That that's the one downside. I was going to ask that. Be, I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's going to be tough for Catholics. And if, you know, if there was a really strong, if there was a strong pro-life Republican candidate, that would be one thing. But the fact of the matter is, you basically got three candidates who aren't pro-life. You know, you've got you've got Trump who's trying to say that he is, but I don't buy it for a second. So I, I don't think that the abortion um, it can be as big a, a deciding factor this time around as it normally would be for me and all my fellow pro-lifers. I think that's I think that's fair. Well. But you voted? Did you did you did you vote for Johnson in twelve? I did absolutely. Like I said, I've always voted for a third party person. Well, we'll see how it goes this time. I just in very quickly in in practice. Let's pretend for a second that he did get elected. First of all, Rand Paul would be over the moon. But beyond that, there legitimately is one elected libertarian who actually is not even really a libertarian in all of Congress. He's technically a Republican, 
in Rand Paul. So how how does this play out? I mean, does somebody like McConnell, who has been the worst kind of partisan over the years, even know what to do anymore? I mean, well, part exactly. of me that wants a guy to get elected just to see what the hell McConnell would do. Would his head explode? Well, and that's what's so would great. Would that chest burster finally come out that we've been waiting for? Yeah, well, and that's what would be so fantastic about a third-party president is that all of this partisan crap kind of gets tossed to the wayside because now it's not a matter of the Republicans in Congress versus the Democrats in the in the White House. Now it's just everybody, theoretically, hopefully, everyone being able to just work together. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. But uh, it would it would certainly be interesting, uh, and the the look on McConnell's face would just be fabulous, <laughs> absolutely outstanding. I, I would I would want it just for that for the the thirty seconds to see what would happen. Uh, we have got to move on. We're gonna do very quickly. We'll do WTF uh, before we start talking about Social Security. What you got? Well, I'll, I'll give my WTF to the the Oklahoma legislature. Um, we we talked about them with the the abortion bill, which I'm very much supportive of. Um, but the fact of the matter is with them that you've got a huge problem with, with their education system and, and the funding of their teachers. Right. And you've got virtually universal consensus between both parties that they have to start paying their teachers more, you know, universal consensus in this. And yet both the Democrats and the Republicans vetoed methods of making getting this done and getting this paid for um, because of their own partisan whatevers. And now you see them coming up. They had their budget bill and they failed to pass it. So it, it just, to me, it, dem- it demonstrates the, the fact that we, they both parties have spent so much time convincing the electorate that you can't trust us that they com- they've completely tied their hands. And even when they have something that has virtually universal support, they can't manage to get it passed. WTF, Oklahoma legislature. Interesting. I, I was aware of the education problems. I didn't realize that it was a consensus thing of paying teachers more. That almost never happens. They, they've all agreed. The, uh, only, the, only, the, the only thing that they're divided on is whether to do it based on seniority or on merit. But they, but they both agree that it, this should happen. Uh, and they were going to pay for it with cigarette and added tax on cigarettes, but the Democrats vetoed it because they wanted more of that money to go towards uh, healthcare. And then the Republicans had another thing that they brought up and vetoed on their own. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I hear stories like that and I would love to say I'm shocked, but I'm not, you know, it, I, I, I was pretty critical of the, uh, legislature for for what i thought they you know were, were doing with that abortion law uh you know but this is this is another thing entirely and it's and it's it 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 does to a certain extent uh you know the the one thing that we talked about last week was this ability to get more than one thing done at once i actually do question legislature's abilities to get more than one thing done at once because they never can seem to i mean i quite I mean, at this point i question their ability to get anything done they get anything done, right? You know, so yeah, I don't know. I I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, that's uh, 
Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't read about that, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, mine, I you know what I have to give mine out to pretty much every. I, I don't generally do this. I try to be hard on everybody, but I, I have to just to the entire Republican Party right now. With uh, it, it has been just the domino effect of just spineless weasels falling in line behind Der Fuhrer Trump. Uh, in the course of the last week, beginning with with Marco Rubio weaseling his way back into the con- uh, consciousness and and immediately in and turning around and endorsing to Paul Ryan, to Bob Dole, to Lindsey Graham, every single one of these people joining in chorus with John McCain, who I used to respect but can't, and Mitch McConnell, who nothing surprises me and who I do not respect, all of them falling in line behind Donald Trump. And saying we must unite as a party. Bullshit. Most of you people for months were saying how dangerous Donald Trump was and he is. And telling about how you would never, ever, ever endorse someone this dangerous. And what did you do? You turned around and you endorsed him. You put your party before your country and to hell with you. All of you. I've had good things to say on occasion about every single one of you in the last little bit. And I am done. 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 This goes beyond WTF for me. I could not be more furious than I am at this stage because I have zero respect for any of them anymore. That's it. Yeah, I I completely agree. You've decided to put party first instead of America first. Uh, And it's utterly disappointing. Yes. Well, I don't really, I think I said everything I needed to say there. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I've been holding that one in all day long. Um, all right, we're going to move on to talking about Social Security. Uh, this is Social Security. Man, there's a, there's, there's a lot to say about this. Um, the reason it, it's coming up now is that there were some rule changes in the last little bit. Um, I read a very in, in, thought-provoking, although I don't entirely agree with it, but it was uh, it was an opposing viewpoint in the Washington Post um, saying how... Uh, the general consensus on social security is wrong and that it's not in trouble. And that is quote, a zombie lie uh, that needs to go away again, not something I entirely agree with, but it was an interesting different sort of point of view. And we thought that we would, that we would actually discuss some of the problems with social security because this gets tossed out all the time. And you know what? You're going to hear about it a lot in the next few months because it always comes up in elections and it is one of these things that, like the education thing in Oklahoma, there's general consensus among people that it's broken, but no one really knows how to fix it. It's also an interesting thing in that it's a bit of a reversal from the way things usually go, at least lately, in that Democrats will put up a solution to it, acknowledge a problem, put up a solution to it, and then Republicans will say no. But in this case, Republicans have acknowledged a problem, put up a solution to it, and it's Democrats who actually just say no. But on both sides, they will try to scare you with this. You will hear both of them saying, Trump and Hillary likely, saying that the other side wants to take away Social Security or they want to screw it up. And they're going to try to scare you with it. And, you know, there's just there's a lot more to it than that. Yes, Social Security is in trouble. Uh, Tim is a lot more smarter than I am. More smarter, more smart, smarter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> than I am about this. So he is absolutely going to run point about it. 
really the story for me sort of starts in in back in uh you know for several years there was this consensus that social security was going to be in trouble when our parents generation retired when the baby boomers started to retire which happened in 2010 and yes there's trouble now enter tim yeah well th- this is the I- so, so well, well, let's start with the, this article in the Washington Post that, that was so thought-provoking. That article is based on a lie, right? And, and the lie is this guy saying that, look, Social Security's got you know $2.3 trillion built into it. And so even if there are struggles with the amount of money coming in, not making up for the amount of money that needs to go out, they've got this $2.3 trillion trust fund to draw from. That is a complete lie. That makes it sound as if the federal government's got $2.3 trillion just sitting in some investment account that it can pull from anytime it wants to. No, the federal government has been stealing from Social Security for decades such that there is no trust fund. There is a bunch of IOUs, the federal government saying, you know, we owe Social Security about $2.3 trillion. And so if at any point we have to start pulling from this $2.3 trillion, the government then has to start running greater and greater deficits from year to year because it's having to make up for this money that it took out of Social Security. So that, that article from the Washington Post is, is complete bunk, completely wrong. Um, right. And, but let, let's, let, let's simplify this a little bit. The way that Social Security actually works right now, a lot of people, I think, tend to th- think of Social Security as sort of like a 401k, right? You put your money into it and your money sits there and waits for you until you retire. And that's not exactly the case. The way that Social Security actually works now is that your payroll taxes, what you put in, goes in and immediately goes back out to pay for the people who are currently receiving benefits. So in effect, you're paying for your parents' retirement and you're doing it right now. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay for you to still live at home at 35 because you should work on that, but we're not judging you if you do. Now, Usually what is supposed to happen, if I read this thing in the National, was it National Review that you sent me? That's really No, no, good. no. National Affairs. Very different. National Affairs. We're going to put that up on Twitter, so you should totally go read it at some point. Um, but uh, basically, there's supposed to be about a 10% difference between what comes in and what goes out. And that 10% was supposed to go into interest-bearing accounts. Well, what's been going on is the federal government has been taking that out instead of leaving it into accounts, and it's been replacing it with these IOUs. And that's what's causing the problem. And at this point, there's something like two to three trillion in IOUs that we've taken out. And by 2033, that's going to grow to like seven or eight trillion. And then payroll taxes are going to have to go sky high because there just won't be any room for any more. So that's where the real problem is. Right. Am I right? Did I summarize I mean, that for the most part? Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's pretty much correct because that that's, Social Security is built on the this pay as you go model, 
right? And there's no, there's no investing, there's no building of interest, there's, there's none of these things that go on. And what we as Republicans have constantly tried to put forth was this idea of using privatized personal accounts. And this is where you'll, you, I mean, you'll hear me say this all the time, where Democrats use the word privatization the same way that we as Republicans use the term socialism. You know, and they'll say they want to privatize Social Security, dun, 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 take away all your money. When in actuality, what we're trying to do is give you your money back. And this, one of the amazing things about what, what could happen if we move Social Security into these personal wealth accounts would be that now you, you would see – so right now what goes on in the United States, right, is one of the things that's led to the oligarchy that's taking over everything is money being passed on from generation to generation, right? Because rich people are able to invest in all of their own personal retirement accounts and whatever money doesn't get used then just goes on to their children. But for the middle class and poor who are depending mainly on social security, that money is all the government's. So whatever money they haven't used doesn't then get passed on to their children. It just goes to the government, right? Whereas if we had personal wealth accounts, that money would therefore be be yours to then be passed on to future future generations of your children. And this would help to cut back on the immense wealth inequality that we're seeing grow and grow and grow in the United States. And the incredible thing about this is is because this is the thing that they're always going to say, right? That well, if you invest, you know, if they invest your money, then what happens if the stock market crashes, right? And it's oh my gosh, it's all over. All right. That's not an issue with any of the bills that we put forth. In all of the bills that the Republican Party has put forth, many of which were, were masterminded by Paul Ryan, these investment accounts are guaranteed by the U.S. government. So you are guaranteed, at minimum, what you would have received if you had just been putting your money into Social Security. It's guaranteed. But, and it is... 99% certain that you will actually get way more than that because your money will get invested into stocks and mutual funds and these sorts of things. And when you invest your money in stocks and mutual funds over a long period of time, it grows from uh, anywhere from six to 10%. And they even look in the, in this article in national affairs, they even look at what would have happened. Say if someone had one of these personal, if social security had been done this way and they had one of these personal accounts and they had started doing it, you know, back in 1965 and they decided to retire in 2009, right after the horrible stock market crash, they still would have had 40% more money in their account than they're getting from social security. And that's with retiring at the worst possible time. It still does better than Social Security. Yeah, and that's that's just not difficult to see. I mean, most any most anybody is any accountant is going to tell you that you don't want to rely on Social Security. Social Security is nice, and you're going to get it maybe, but. Uh, it's not what you want to rely on. You still want to be investing in a retirement plan. You still want to be doing a 401k or whatever. But, you know, uh, Social Security is not the end all be all because these other things that you can do on your own are so much better. Right. So, so the idea that the money that give- I'm putting in 
to Social Security, if I look at my paycheck and go, okay, I'd rather be taking all this money I'm putting in Social Security and just go put it on my own in something else. I'd actually feel better about that, honestly. As would the vast majority of Americans. And yet, somehow, every time that the Republicans have put forth bills to do this, the Democrats have shot it down. And this is, and, uh, and President Obama included in that. And, well, I mean, and this is another reason why it's in the news today, is that President Obama just had, President Obama had basically not jumped on, he had sort of st- stayed away from Social Security, right? Social Security really hasn't been a big part of his presidency. But then recently, he has just done this big 180 and decided that he wants to be doing what he called, quote, strengthening Social Security. And I mean, this is one thing where I am absolutely not in agreement with the Democrats because they keep throwing out the same stupid crap. We need to expand Social Security. We need to make the benefits bigger and better. And we're going to do it by surprise, surprise, asking the wealthiest to contribute a little bit more. Hearing a Democrat say that is starting to sound like hearing a Republican say we need to deregulate and raise taxes or cut taxes. It's all they ever say. Mm-hmm. And it never goes anywhere and it doesn't do anything. And Social Security is still boned the same way that Social Security has been on the way to being boned and is now boned even more and even closer to being boned than it has really my entire adult life. Just do something. I don't actually, at this point, I don't know that I even care what, but, but, but well, find well, a way to you fix should, it. You should care a lot what. And that's the thing, and that's what we've seen with Bernie and we see with Hillary. Both of them want to expand payroll taxes. Bernie more, yeah. more Bernie more than Hillary, but they both want to expand payroll taxes. And the number one people that this hits is the poor. Because we talk all the time about, you know, well, we're not going to tax, you know, people below this income bracket. All they're talking about is the federal income tax, which I've never paid a lot in federal income tax because, I mean, at this point where I'm actually making some money, I, I've got kids. So I my tax bracket keeps on staying, keeping me in that zero range. All of my – but I still lose a large chunk of my paycheck towards payroll taxes. And that's the thing that with these Republican bills that we would see disappearing. Instead of this massive chunk of your paycheck going off to the government – for them to waste and spend as they like, we see we would see it going into your own personal accounts. And even even crazier with with these bills that the Republicans put forth, you get the choice. They're not even requiring that you use these personal accounts. All they're wanting to do is give you the option to use the other account if you want to. But the Democrats strike it down because they know that the vast majority of Americans will choose to put their money into other accounts. Yeah. And and the payroll tax thing, man, that's 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 where a lot of people don't uh, just don't understand where that comes from. That's a big deal, guys. It's a really big deal because that actually has a direct impact on how much you bring home every paycheck. Like I, I don't know if you guys remember the payroll tax holiday a few years back. It was it was uh, right I around. Do. And remember that back around I 2012, do. and they had the big payroll tax holiday. And I got 
I, I got I got a raise right that year for being a, I had started my the job that I have now I just started it and I'd, I'd been there six months and I got a raise and I got my first check with the raise and I was like oh this is great and then in between pay periods after my first check after the raise they cut off the payroll tax holiday and it ended and then the payroll tax went back and poof there went my raise yep well and that's the when, and, and when we talk about payroll taxes a lot of times we only think about the employee. But you've also got to think about the employer. The employer matches everything that you're paying as an employee. The We, the employer, have to pay that as well. So I, I remember when I first opened Bubba's, the federal government made way more off of Bubba's than I did because of the massive amount of money that I had to put into payroll taxes. And that exact thing happened to me. What you're talking about with the, 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 the holiday happened to me with Bubba's. The first couple of times I did payroll, I was like, well, okay, that's not that's not horrible. I can, I can live with that. And then all of a sudden, it doubled. So here I am, small businessman, trying to make something happen, trying to start up a restaurant, employing people, doing my bit, and the federal government cripples me with this doubling of my payroll taxes and nearly put bubbles, Bubba's out of business. It was this close. Why? Because of payroll taxes. Yeah, not not a small thing. And, and this is not, you know, I mean, and let's, let's be clear. You were exactly what you said you were. You were, you were that, that small business owner that every single presidential candidate is going to start talking about here in a few months. Yeah, you know. that they care so much about, that they love so much. I represent the little guy, that small business owner in Greenville, North Carolina, trying to help his family survive and, you know, the smile of every baby and other such nonsense bullshit. So... Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, um, I have very little else to to say about it. other than other than the idea. The only other thing that I want to say that I really want to make clear is that th- again, this is going to come up. It's going to be a hot button thing in the next few months. Don't let them scare you. Either side, it's a big deal. Do your research and figure out which side you come down on. But I, I think for both of our money, even me as a liberal who can't stand corporations and the idea of privatization of much of anything. This is one where I, I really think I'm okay with privatization. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, there you go. So, well, and the craziest thing is Trump. Trump, at least Hillary acknowledges the problem. I may not agree with her solution, but she acknowledges the problem. Trump is just saying he's agreeing with that article. There is no problem. I won't touch social security. Not a problem. What? Are you kidding me? Like I, I can I can see it from you know random columnist who's part of you know the a conservative a progressive think tank, but really our presidential candidate just saying no, it's not a problem. Ridiculous. Yeah, it is absolutely. Well, I mean it. I I don't know if you remember, but there was that moment in two thousand eight where McCain basically blew it off, you know, uh, and just kind of went ah, we can fix Social Security, whatever. Well, and uh, now he shouldn't know. have been blowing it off. I don't remember the exact context. I shouldn't have been blowing it off, but he is right that he, you can fix it. And when he when he said that, it was right around the time that we were putting forth these bills that could fix Social Security. Handled, done, no problem. And could have done it before the baby boomers retired. That's the other thing. This was a problem that they knew was going to be a problem for years. It was a thing that people were saying all throughout the 90s, all throughout 
W's administration, this is a thing and we got to solve it. This is a thing and we got to solve it. This is a thing and we got to solve it. Oh, now it's a thing. Now it's really a thing and we got to solve it. But here we are 25 years later and ain't nobody done anything about it. So, you know. Now, let's be clear. I do Um, agree with the, the adjustments that Obama has made. These were good adjustments. I mean, these were basically fixing loopholes that people had found to take advantage of the system and then to therefore get more money than they were supposed to. So good job on closing these loopholes. But Social Security needs a massive restructuring, not a tweaking. Yeah, but these were good tweaks. Yeah, that's and that's uh, uh, worth. You know what? There was there was an outstanding article on uh, Lifehacker sum up, summing up all of that. So if you read Lifehacker, go find their article on Social Security. We'll uh, we'll we'll tweet that one out too. So uh, yeah, there we go. That's that's all I have on on Social Security. Have you have you anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Well, we are, uh, we are, we are over time as per usual, but, uh, I think we got to, I think we need to start to wrap this up. So why don't you take us out with something cool? Uh, something cool. More Americans donate either their time or their money to charity and volunteer work than any other country in the entire world. And I think that is very cool. Really? They do, according to the Charity Aid Foundation. They did a the survey of 152 countries, and America is number one. So good job, America. That is. That's very cool. Well, uh, that's it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Please be sure and follow us on uh, Twitter. I am at LibConMatt. Tim is at LibConTim. Uh, come give us a shout-out if you have any questions. We encourage you to check in with us. Let us know. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and have an outstanding week. Thank you.